Thank you for listening to WNLA's Sermon of the Week. Visit our website at wnla.church for ways to partner with us and to connect with our ministries. Here is this week's sermon. You know, I'm uh, I'm excited about this message. Um, There's a little fear and trembling in parts of it that I'm just dealing with. And I'm like, okay, Lord, um, I'll say yes anyway. Last week, I just want to, I want to start here where we were last week. Um, I shared, a, I shared a story, but we were talking about God's generosity. Can anyone say God is more generous than you understand, you've ever understand? Amen. Uh, and, and, uh, Jacob, forgive me. I shared this story and I know you won't mind. Um, about uh, Jacob's grandfather passed away. He, he was a principal at the high school all through my years. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy, worked hard in the district and all of these things. Um, took Jacob and his sisters in and uh, wonder, wonderful guy. Um, in light of generosity, here's where this goes. So I love Jacob, met Jacob throughout high school and, uh, and gladly you know, poured my life and, and just, just enjoyed uh, chatting with him and, you know, became a great friend of my son, Josiah. And uh, long story short, uh, his grandfather is struggling with dementia at the end. And, uh, and Jacob came to me one day and, um, and wasn't sure or clear of his grandfather's salvation. And that's a scary place to be, right? Come on. We know that without Christ, there is no hope of glory. Um, and so... He, uh, he and I, we prayed about it. I know he prayed with many of you about it. But uh, then he invited me and we to go to the hospital and, and chat and pray with his grandfather. Um, and I, if I'm being honest, I, like, my flesh didn't want to go. Right? Because there's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Number one, well, it's a little intimidating. Maybe, maybe a little embarrassing, and, and it's, it's inconvenient, and it's uncomfortable, all of these things. And this is my former principal, for goodness sake, right? But because I love Jacob, and because obviously you don't, you don't let fear steal a moment like that from you. We went in, and, uh, and we, got, we got to chat, and he sat there and was very, he, he really wasn't making any sense. And we, just, we were trying and trying our best to, uh, to just have a good conversation but I just felt, the, in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say, just honor him. And, uh, and so I just simply said, I couldn't call him Elvis, which was his name. I said, Mr. Dillinger, thank you for, for pouring into your, your life for kids and students like me. You were a really good example of who Jesus is. And I, and I could tell that that resonated in his heart and in his, in his like, that was the moment that the Holy Spirit was, was cooperating with. Because he, he got emotional, and then he looks at Jacob, and he says, he looks at Jacob, and, and he says, do you believe that? And, and Jacob says, I do, Grandpa. Do you? And he, Mr. Dillinger paused, and he says, I do. And, uh, and, and then it kind of went back. It just, this, this powerful, first of all, I want to honor a grandkid who was desperate enough to be inconvenienced and embarrassed to go talk to grandpa in the hospital. And, uh, Many of you wouldn't have done that because you would have been too ashamed or scared or embarrassed. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying don't be. Moments like that are way too important. Amen? A few weeks later after he passed away, uh, I, I found myself last Saturday in, at Horizon Middle School in a room packed full of my former teachers, for administrators, uh, superintendents, and, and I, was, I was literally humbled and, and uh, that I got to declare Jesus Christ and his goodness and, and his hope of glory. What does this have to do with generosity? Like, 
So what did I sacrifice? A little of my time and some of my pride, perhaps, and a little inconvenience. What did God, like, how much would you pay for that moment? What would that be worth to you? There's no number on it. The generosity of God is profoundly more infinite than you could put a number next to. And if you want to experience the joy of the Lord, true, deep, abiding, lasting joy, one of the keys is living a generous lifestyle. Yes, financially. Yes, with your time. Yes, with your inconveniences. Saying yes generously to the Lord, you will never be outdone. I sat there, and I'm like, after the whole thing, Jacob, I, I went back to my car just like overwhelmed, fully aware that I had done nothing to earn this moment. That there was no, like, this was just a gift from the Lord. And, and I was blown away by his blessing. And I want to say this to you. Look at me. Don't let your laziness, your fear, your, your uncomfortableness, the hard work of a moment, the tension, don't let that steal from you what God wants to do. So many of us hide behind those things. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, and so I'll just keep doing what I... Listen, when the Lord gives you the opportunity, just say yes. Because the joy, and the, it, it, it's on the other side of the hard work. It's on the other side of the, okay, I'll do it anyway. And you look back at it and like, what a silly minor inconvenience. That wasn't even hard. The joy is on the other side of that. So I'm here to tell you, stop saying no. Because the joy and the peace and the abundance of the Lord is often disguised by uncomfortableness, by hard work, by, by moments where I hide and, and how many times, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, I'm too shy. The Lord doesn't excuse shy people from the kingdoms. Preach the gospel, you shy people. And you loudmouths, maybe quiet down sometimes. Let the shy people have a moment. Just get over yourself and do it. Amen? Embrace it for the joy set before you. Oh, I don't want to go to the hospital. I'm too nervous. You know, it's an inconvenience. Do you see the connection? The joy of the Lord is often disguised in maybe an inconvenience or something that seems like, whoa, 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 can't someone else do it? And he's like, this is a gift for you. You don't understand what it's, what's inside. Just do it. And I think this is for somebody specifically. You know the Lord's been asking you and telling you and instructing you and inviting you into some partnership. And every time you're like, oh, well, no, not, you know, clearly that's for someone else. And he's inviting you to say yes, because he has more abundant peace and joy on the other side of that moment than you could orchestrate with all the home conveniences and all the books and all the video games and all the comfy, cozy blankets and lattes and pumpkin spice. Those are all fun, but they do not give you the deep, abundant, abundant peace, joy, satisfaction that comes with saying yes when the Lord instructs you. As we read, James 1, consider it pure joy, when, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds did you know some of those little things like oh that's inconvenient that's a trial and it's an opportunity for pure joy well, i'm uncomfortable your uncomfort isn't the holy spirit is your comforter because he knew you'd be uncomfortable so do uncomfortable things that require the holy spirit when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance the testing of your faith, saying yes to the trial and yes to that moment is something that leads to something profound, per perseverance. You need to say yes to perseverance so that perseverance can finish its work and you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You can hide behind your inconvenience and your uncomfort all day long, but perseverance will not com complete its work until you say yes to it. And then, and then you'll get the deeper revelation of being complete. You want to not lack anything? Get over your fear. 
Listen to the verse saying, not lacking in anything. You want to not lack anything? Get over your demand to be comfortable in every moment of your life. You're numbing yourself with comfort. You're numbing yourself with it. You weren't called to be comfortable at every moment of your life. If that were the case, the Lord would have kept you a baby in a cradle. Ah, oh, it's okay. Sometimes, like, when the Lord's like, yeah, you know, he brings you in a process, sometimes you're like, ah, and he's like, that's gross. Stop pooping your pants. Get up. Go eat the food that I put out on the counter. Come on. For the joy set before you, stop and get up and do and go. Be. And you will lack nothing. Embrace the process of perseverance, church. And you'll get a profound profound, profound revelation of the generosity of your God. Okay, that was just review. I want to pivot here today. Uh, this will be the last day of our Joy Set Before You series. Uh, we could go on and on and on and on, but uh, we're going to pivot next week. Um, and this week, I just want to expose one of the greatest like last, last week, I gave you one of the biggest keys to stay in sustainable joy, and that, and that was uh, generosity. Today, I want to show you one of the greatest thieves of your joy so that you know how to say no to that. I want to expose some of those things that steal your joy. I'm telling you, quitting in the hard time will steal your joy. I'll say that again. Saying no and just quitting when times get rough will steal your joy. Because perseverance is what's going to lead you to the bigger revelation and so that you'll lack nothing. Saying no, quitting in the hard times cuts off your revelation. And God doesn't rush through seasons, even if they're hard. Because you're in a season so you can learn something. Right? And he's not in a rush to get through it if you're not learning. Because he's like, no, you need this. The reason you're in this season is because you need this revelation. This is the next step in your revelation journey to be more and more like me. And so he's not in a rush to get you off the hook if you're not learning what the hook was about. When you say forget it, I'm done, there's no joy on the end of that. When you're lazy, there's no joy on the end of that. When you say I'm too, I'm too shy or nervous, there's no joy on the end of that. They're all thieves for you. People will say, well, how do, you, how do you get up front every Sunday or, or whatever you do and not be nervous? I'm like, only a psychopath isn't nervous to get up in front. Honestly. But you get nervous every single time. For goodness sake, I'm standing in front of all you. When I was five years old, I remember it was at Calvary Temple. It might have been four at the time. But, uh, and I've told this story before, but I remember um, my Aunt Karen was the kids' director and she was getting all the kids ready to do their Christmas musical and to get to be angels. And, and I'm sitting there on the front pew and she looks and she's like, Andy, do you want to come up? And I think it was a shepherd or an angel. And, um, and I desperately wanted to. But I, I crawled under the pew and hid. Because I, I was scared. I was nervous. I was, I was petrified. And, and she didn't make me. She just said, okay. And she went back to directing. Now, deep down, I was, I was wishing and I was hoping that she'd come down there and grab me and say, get up there. She didn't do it. I remember watching that kid's program from the pew. And watching afterwards, my older brothers, of course, getting the candy and they're all having, they had so much fun doing it and I didn't get any of that fun. I was robbed. What robbed me? My own fear. And I, 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 said, I, I remember that was a moment, it was a pivotal, it was a defining moment in my life because like, I'm never going to miss out again because I'm afraid. And so every time, like, it's probably why I, I, I ended up doing lots of plays and stuff because I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been in a play or on like a, a sports team or given a speech or something, like it's scary, it's freaky, like getting up there, but there's no, there's like this bliss that comes after it. From doing so, in fact, the fear, the nerves, and the shot, all of that makes the other end of it even more thrilling. Fear, they're going to steal your joy. There's a deeper abiding joy available for you. This may be for somebody, shyness, 
is robbing you of joy. Did you know that the Bible doesn't give you a spirit of shyness or timidity? The Lord has not, he's not gifted any one of you with shyness or timidity. So hiding behind that is allowing something to define you that God hasn't given you. Scripture says the Lord has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Right? Sound mind. Now I realize we all have different personality types, but all, every single one, well, I'm just a really sanguine kind of guy. I can hide behind that too. You can take your Enneagram and throw it in the trash because all it's going to do is pigeonhole you and you'll hide behind it. There's a power in knowing your personality type and all of that, I get it, but if it becomes a hiding place for you, it's trash. I don't do those kind of things. That's not how I was made to be. Garbage. Because if the Holy Spirit tells you to do those kind of things, it doesn't matter what your personality type is. Look at Gideon. He hid. He was hiding. And the Lord's like, you're a mighty warrior. And he's like, no, I'm not. Scripture is full of people who had to go against their personality traits to do what God's calling them. In fact, I love the fact that God often calls you opposite of your personality trait. Because there's profound power in understanding that in my weakness, he is made strong. Because in my weakness, I realize, oh, I can't, oh, I walk out of that and like, God, you really came through. I know that wasn't me. Because I was scared to death. You want to lack nothing? Get over yourself. The, the, the old, old saying goes, the ship at harbor is safe, but that's not what it was built for. You can stay in harbor all day long and your ship probably won't get destroyed. But there's risk when you go out. Getting nervous is the dumbest excuse in the world to not do something. Nerves only make the joy of completion all that more profound. All right. I need to skip forward here. You want next level joy? Do what you're afraid of. You want next level peace? Do what God's calling you to do, especially when you're scared to do it. You played a video game, I got the new Mario game. Every level gets progressively more interesting, but I don't get the fun, interesting things like the rhino running after me if I don't complete the previous level. The Lord's taking you on a journey to level up, to level up, to level up, to level up. You're never called to stay at level two and just, just abide in level two for, for the rest of your life. You level up until the day you die and ultimately level up. Glory to glory is what we're called to do. All right, focus. I've given you some joy thieves, but I want to give you uh, the biggest joy thief of all. And let me just say this. If I told you, let's say there was a, there was a real guy, his name's, let's, I call him Bob, because Bob's a quick name. Let's say I, I told you, hey, Bob is coming over to your house. And I, I, I told you Bob's coming. Um, but be careful. Bob's a kleptomaniac. If you don't know what a kleptomaniac is, it's somebody who can't help but steal everything that's not take, you know, fastened down. So, just so you know, Bob's coming, but he's a kleptomaniac. I need you to be aware of that. So what do you do? Well, you do one of two things. I could, you know, some of you would be like, well, I'd have my gun ready when Bob showed up. <laughs> if that's one way to live. You would at the very least, at the very least, tie down, put valuables in the safe, fasten things down, you know, batten down the hatches because you knew somebody who couldn't stop stealing is coming to your house, right? I'm about to tell you the name of a thief, one of the biggest thieves that wants to steal your joy. And I want you to treat it like Bob the kleptomaniac. Take it seriously and understand that it's real. The thief, one of the number one thieves. This, this would be on, if you went to the post office where the top, America's top ten most wanted, this would be on your top most wanted list in the police department. And that thief is this word, shame. 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 
Let me just say this. Shame has created more hiding places than almost anything else. When we were created, human beings, we had no shame. We walked naked, all right? And you're like, what? We did. Adam and Eve were naked and had no had no shame. As you know, as soon as they ate the fruit, as soon as they sinned, what is the first thing they did? They hid. Right? They covered themselves because they knew they were buck naked. And they were super crazy ashamed. And they hid. Now, if you've ever played the game hide and seek, like the object of hide and seek, like you kind of secretly want to be found. But found last, or at the very least, it's a game, right? And so uh, at the very least, you want everyone else to be found, and then you wait just long enough to jump out and be superior to the person seeking. You're like, ha-ha, the greatest hider of all time. Because it's a game. You, you don't want to stay hidden forever because that's a, that's a terrible place to be. The game is to be found. Hide and seek. That's part of the game. However, sin and shame is not a game. Oh, it rhymed. You know the Holy Spirit's on something when it rhymes. <laughs> sin and shame are not a game. Like when you, when you have sinned, you do not want to be found. Like you are desperate. into, Like you are looking for the hiding place of all hiding places because you are so ashamed. You're scared to death. You do not want to be found at any point. Shame makes you run. Shame makes you hide. Shame has created some of the most unique and creative and deprived hiding places of all time. Shame is not a fun game. Anyone who's experienced that will say amen to that. I went to, uh, when I was teaching in high school, uh, <laughs> I've gone got to school a little bit early, and I dropped my pen. I was getting classroom ready for my, uh, my English class. I bent over, and my whole backside of my pants split. Like, boom. Oh, and there's nothing more terrifying. Had it been a group of adults, I'd be like, ha, 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 let's do it. It was teenagers, all right? So I grabbed my, I tied around my, like this, I was, I needed to hide. And I, I ran. I didn't even care. The class was going to start in about three minutes. Like, I ran to the office, and I'm like, I told the principal, I'm out. I will be back. My pants have split wide open. It was terrifying. So I went and got better pants. Should have come back with sweatpants. Nakedness. It's shame. It, like, it's not, it's not this funny. It's not a game. It's terrifying. And we've created so many hiding places that we think are sustainable. We try to cover our shame with lots of things. Maybe it's just your simple, it's simple entertainment. Or it's your house. I, can, I never leave, I don't leave often because I don't want to be out there. I can, I can hide behind substances. I certainly can hide behind money and appearance of success. I can, hide, I can hide behind uh, social media. I can hide behind all sorts of things. We've literally, as human beings, because of shame, made hiding places out of almost anything. When we use it dysfunctionally, I'm hiding behind it. I can, I can, I can make my spouse a hiding place from my shame. I don't want to deal with it. And I hide, and, I, and it becomes an unhealthy and a, a messed up place. Unhealthy dependence. It's like this. You, the, the little kid hiding behind mom or dad's legs. You know, when you, when the, when, when you go and the little kid hides, right? They, they, they're, they're, they're afraid. And they, they think you can't see him behind mom and dad. But you see him. Or even better, the kid who does this. You can't see me now. <laughs> That's how silly our hiding looks. We hide because we're ashamed. And the problem is that this kind of hiding robs all joy out of your life. Hiding, look at me, hiding always steals your joy. That's shame's number one goal in your life. It's cute for a kid, but it's a bad look for you. 
Jesus Christ is the only secure hiding place where you cannot be touched. And here's the deal. Look at me. Shame won't get you to Christ. Shame, continued owned shame, doesn't get you to Christ. 1 John 1, 7 through 10 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's no hiding with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies you from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word, uh, word is not in us. Okay. Confession does something. Confession puts you into the light. Now, here's the problem. I hide because I, if I, I feel like if I confess, I'm going to, you know, whatever, all this stuff's going to happen. So I stay here, unconfessed, and shame eats me up. I hide in my shame. Confession does this. Yes, I did that, and I've been found out. Now, even in that, you have to choose to get rid of the shame. You can confess and be positionally, mentally, all these forgiven, completely transformed, and yet continue to hide in the shame of it. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. And the longer you're hiding in shame, the more you will get eaten up from the inside and have zero joy in your life. Okay, I've got really, really good news for you today. We started this whole series in Hebrews, and I'm going to circle back to there. And I want you to follow carefully. I'm going to read it to you again, and we'll come in for a landing on this. Hebrews 12, this is our core verse for the joy set before us. Okay, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Here we go. For the joy set before him, that's been our key, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scorning shame and joy are intimately connected. Scorning shame and joy are intimately connected. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Scorn, this word scorn, It's not a word we use a whole lot in English anymore, but it literally means to think little of, to barely consider. Jesus had to ignore and scorn and think very little of the shame. How embarrassing for the Son of God to get nailed to the cross. You realize what people think of you? You know what they're calling you? And not only that, everything you've ever done on him. How embarrassing. Would you, would you, if you just took a survey of the things, the shameful things you've done. And Jesus stood there accused of it. How shameful. Oh, there's so much shame attached to your sin. And Jesus, who could have said no at any point, by the way. He could have said no to the cross. In fact, he prayed, but he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And you better believe that shame was probably just as much of a hard thing to go through as the nails and all of that. He's put up as a public spectacle for everyone to look at. And yet, what did he do? The only way he could get through it was to scorn the shame. Who scorned the shame. Why? For the joy set before him. Shame could have stolen that moment. Now follow me carefully here because this this might get a little touch and go. This word shame, aiskune is the the Hebrew word, aiskune. It says to scorn shame, aiskune. 
So Strong says this is the definition. Now, this is really important, so listen to this definition. It says this, the, little definition, the literal definition of shame in the scripture is the confusion of one who's ashamed of anything. Gonna say, it's, this is going to hit you in a second here. The confusion of one who is ashamed of anything. If you sit in your shame too long, shame is confusion. Shame is confusion. I'm confused. And if I allow myself, even if I do not repent of my sins, and I can repent of my sins and still sit in the shame of it, but if, I sit, if I'm sitting in shame, I am confused. And here's, here's what happens. If I sit in my confusion because I'm ashamed long enough, I start to decide this is who I am. I Look at me. I allow confusion to define me. Shame is confusion. And in that state, the enemy's whispering full time. Here's the problem. If I allow my sin and the shame of it to define me, that shame attaches itself and it drags me to hell with it. Because Jesus took the shame. He took it on the cross. That's where it goes. I realize you're embarrassed. I realize this. Oh, this is so weird. It is not who you are. You're confused. Who the scripture says you are is who you are. What you're positionally walking through, the sin that's, that's tempting you, that is confusing. So scorn it. You have to scorn it. Think little of it or it will define you. We fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter, not the shame. This is so important because I know so many people that have been forgiven a big, little, and everything in between, and they've come to Christ, repented. You know you've come to Christ, and you've repented, and two days later you are ashamed by that sin still because you haven't scorned it and fixed your eyes on Christ. Just because you're forgiven of something doesn't mean you'll still be attra not attracted to it. So don't allow confusion to identify you now, it would be really easy to jump in and pick on the LGBTQ community who has allowed confusion of gender to identify them. But it's no different than somebody who just continually sleeps around and has adultery and, oh, that's who I am. It's not who you are. You've sat in your confusion too long. In Christ, you can scorn the shame. And you, listen, I realize, like, you need peace, you need joy, you need it. But if you sit in the shame, you won't get the joy. It's going to steal all, all potential peace and joy out of your life. Oh, yeah, I, I tried and tried to give up pornography. I guess it's, you know, it's just something I'm just going to continue. Stop agreeing with lies. Give it up again. Scorn the shame. Walk into the light. I don't know if I have permission to share this. I was so proud of your son, Chuck. When he posted on, on, a, on Instagram this week about, about a struggle with pornography. And, and like, he, what he, he just walked into the light. This <laughs> isn't who I am. That was the confession. So guess what he gets? The thing is, everybody who gets caught feels so much better. Like, initially, you're scared to death, but you get caught. Like, my friend who's sitting in prison for murder felt so much better sitting in prison than he did for 14 years, hiding and running and disappearing, and he's living in shame so much that murderer becomes your identity, and you know it, and you're going to run. Listen, you walk into the light, you have fellowship. And you know, you've met people who've, like, who've repented and actually walked into the light. Because you could, you could accuse them all day long. I know you did. You looked at that. And they're like, I know. Sorry, like I, they're, they're humble, but they're at peace. Somebody, however, who, who, uh, who, who has taken their sin and decided this is who I am becomes very militant and angry about it when you tell them it's wrong. 
There's no humility there. Because there's no peace there. Somebody at peace. It doesn't matter what you accuse them of, say to them. They're like, it's okay. Because I have peace with Christ Jesus. I have joy. There are hiding place after hiding place after hiding place. And I have to say this. Only repented of sin is shameless, okay? Only sin that's repented of is shameless. As I said before, your sin is shameful. What a shame that you did that. It really is. It's, it's a shame when I've fallen short of the glory of God. It is a big, big shame. But when I repent, oh, Father, forgive me. He is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then, hey, Stephanie, could you throw me that role? And then, forgive the, the crude analogy, I've been forgiven. I'm going to wipe that off and flush it down the toilet. This is really shameful to have. That's why I picked toilet paper for you today. It's the hidden things. It's the shameful things. But when you've been forgiven, now you have to positionally agree, I am, I am no longer ashamed. I'm no longer ashamed that I did that because I, I, I'm forgiven of it. I'm not proud that I did it, but it has no, no power over me. I'm going to tell you this fun little thing before. I'm going to let you all take some toilet paper home today. I got enough for everybody. This is going to be your prophetic act, okay? Uh, in fact, Stephanie, I'll have you come up. You know what? Whole worship band, get up here. Let's have some fun. But I want you to play uh, Fear Is Not My Future. You are that one, whatever that's called. There, there are two things we're going to do here. One, if you need to repent of your sin, I want you to flood this altar and get on your face before God. Yeah, but going up front is kind of scary. Yeah, well, you're walking into the light. It'll feel better. Maybe you've, you know you've already been forgiven, but you, you still sit in the shame of your sin. That's why you're going to take the toilet paper. <laughs> you, can, you can flush it on your way out. If you, you can take it home. I want you to flush it down the toilet. Everybody here, I want, to, I want you to take some of this. In fact, I'm going to uh, send some to the back. Tanner, would you take two rolls back to Tony and uh, Melvin? They're going to hand these out. They're going to hand you toilet paper. <laughs> I'll leave the rest up here. <laughs> Don't tell your friends about this. All right, thanks, Ben. But you, when you do this, hey, first of all, you've got to repent. Don't allow your, your, your unique sin, whatever it is. Don't allow al alcoholism, drug abuse, don't allow that to define you. Because then you'll be ashamed of it. And you sit in that shame too long, then you start telling people that's who you are and you get mad at them. There's no peace there. The Bible defines who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My goodness gracious. You are the, you are the joy set before Jesus Christ who endured the cross. What a great place to be. The enemy, even if you repent, he doesn't want you to repent, but then he wants to see if he can, can't keep you ashamed and in the dark and in those unique hiding dysfunctional places that you've created for yourself. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have, you feel like you don't have a good fellowship with each other? Walk in the light, see what happens. You'll have great fellowship. You walk in the light with, with Christ, you will have great fellowship with him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One last verse that, that I, I felt the Lord give me this morning. Acts 3, 9 says this. Repent then. Repent then. This won't be on the screen, so you can just look at me. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want to be refreshed? You feel stale, stretched? Repent and let times of ref refreshing doesn't come without repentance. It's a good thing. It's amazing. It's good news. You get to walk out of here without shame. You get to walk out of here knowing, knowing, knowing who you are in Christ, forgiven, holy, accepted, loved. 
and then you can have joy. So I'd like you to stand with me. As we sing this song, come and get your toilet paper. Come and just get on your face at the altar. And if you need to repent, don't, don't sit in the mud anymore. Don't sit in it. Don't sit in it. He's got good things, good news. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. Because he's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Sing that again. Let him turn. So let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. Causes all things to work. Cause he's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Hello, peace. So hello, peace. Hello, joy.
Hello, it's a new horizon. And hello, 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 love. Hello, hello, it's a new. Sickness is not my story Cause you're writing a new story Oh, and heartbreak's not my home I don't live there anymore Oh, and death won't be the end Cause you are You welcome us home Fear, fear is not my future You are, you are Sick this is not my story. You are, oh, you are. And heartbreak's not my home. You are, as yes, you are. And death is not the end. Cause you are. One more time. So hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello. I felt really encouraged to share this story like Andy was talking about, about my grandfather. Um, before he died, he went into a coma um, in Bellevue uh, in the retirement home that we sent him in. Um, and uh, I wasn't there, but I was told that in his coma, he was moving, he was shaking, his body was tense. So there was, his body didn't want to let go. And so A few moments before he died, my grandma just held his hand on his deathbed. And she said to him, you can be with the Lord now. And like that, his body let go. And so I say this to all of you um, about, about this story for, for anybody who has experienced dementia and a free will seems very ambiguous and uncertain, that does not mean that God can still work, because he can. <sighs> he is faithful, he is merciful. There's nothing that we can do, that's why we have the cross. And so, um, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to share this to you, because if you're feeling ashamed or if you're feeling hopeless, there is hope. There's the gospel, there's Jesus, put your trust in him because he is faithful, he is good, and he will answer. I guarantee it, he will answer. Thank you for sharing that, Jacob. He's absolutely right. You know, as we just step into the joy, you know, the Lord wants us to walk in joy, amen? And we just, it's a great message. And I know that you're watching or you're here that, you know, just don't just take the words and just forget about them, but apply them to your life. Don't stay in that shame. Come out in the open and allow the Lord to work in you and repent and surrender and walk in the fullness of joy that God has for each and every one of us. No time is greater than the time now that God wants his people to walk in joy and walk in the, our neighborhoods, walk where we work at, walk in our schools with the joy of the Lord. 
flowing over to touch lives around us. Amen. And I want to say, if you're here for the first time, we want, to, we want you to feel welcome. We love the fact that you are here worshiping with us, and we wanted to get to know you. And there's a couple in the back by the booth in the foyer, and uh, we uh, have an informational um, card right there in the chair right in front of you. If, if you'd fill that out, bring it to the back. We have a gift for you, and we just want to get, get to know you and love on you. And again, thank you for being with us. Have a fantastic week. God bless each and every one of you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or if you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit our website at wnla.church.